Hello and welcome to the second episode of Hope. We are here in conversation with Mr. Gulshan Das, a public intellectual, a former CEO of Procter & Gamble India and later managing director of Procter & Gamble Worldwide, a global leader indeed. Mr. Das took an early retirement to become a full-time writer, choosing to follow his passion by all means. He has inspired many and is continuing to inspire many more. A very humble, generous, and a joyful person at heart. We introduce you to Mr. Das. Thank you so much for joining in, sir. Thank you for having me. So, sir, with the United Nations celebrating its 75th anniversary, how can each individual within themselves and around help create a better world? I believe that, um, you know, we're going to talk today about education and how education can help us. Um, and frankly, uh, the whole idea of being human is to lead a happy and fulfilled life. Education should help us in doing that. Now, my one-line definition of happiness is to love the work you do and love the person you live with. Now, as regards the loving the person you live with, well, I'd suggest you read my book, Karma, the Riddle of Desire. But today on UN Day, let's focus on loving the work you do. The, the odd thing is Janavi that so few of us love our work. You know, that's why you have restaurants like, thank God it's Friday, TGIF. You know, these are successful because people just want to get out of work and, and have, and they, they live for the weekend uh, when they don't have to work or a holiday. <coughs> the, the, Problem begins when we are young. Our parents say, go to school, get high marks so that you can get a job. They're concerned with us making a living. Whereas education should help us make a life. And so we follow our parents and, 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 and we get a job and we get married and we have children and we do the same thing with our children. But when we get to be about 40, 50 years old, we suddenly wake up one morning and we ask, is this what life was all about? And there's a sense of despair that have I wasted my life? Now, education should really teach us how to make a life, not just to make a living. And therefore it's our duty for us all as parents, as grandparents, as teachers, to bring up our young people to discover how to make a life, to discover a passion where you love your work. The the, 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 you know, we are, not, we are not born like Mozart, who at the age of four knew he was a musical genius. Most of us stumble onto our passion, stumble onto making a life. And, and, and that is really um, central. And I can only, you know, the only true data of history is your own life. That's what you know for sure. And I just thought I'd give my example of my life. Uh, it's not the only one, it's certainly not the best, but it's an example of someone who did try to make a life. So when I went to college, my parents were typical middle-class Indian parents. And they wanted me to make sure I made a living when I came out. 
And so I was told, I, my father was an engineer, so I went there to do engineering. But at college, I discovered the humanities. I discovered uh, literature. I discovered history. I discovered philosophy. And finally, I got a degree in philosophy. So I was on my way to go and do a PhD in philosophy. And just before I went to do my PhD, I suddenly got cold feet. And I said, do I want to spend the rest of my life at that stratosphere of abstract thought? So I decided no. And so again, I was at a loose end. I didn't know what to do. And so I thought I'd experiment. The one thing I knew was that I wanted a life of action and not a life of thought, at least not only of thought. And so here I had been groomed to be a high thinking Brahmin. And suddenly I got a job by answering an ad for a company. So I'm making, I became from a high thinking Brahmin, I converted to a money making banya. And so I reinvented my life. But the idea, the intellectual urge, etc., the questioning mind continued. So I, I arrived at a compromise. And the compromise was to use my weekends when my friends in business played golf. I went, I wrote, I began to write. And I became a weekend writer. And that's what I've been all my life. I've worn two hats. And by the time that I asked the question in my 40s, you know, I, I, I went into a business career, but Monday to Friday, I was a businessman. Saturday and Sunday, I was a writer. I was a weekend writer. And so by 50, when I asked the question, is this what life was all about? I had an answer that I could become a writer because I had enough savings by then and children were grown up. So responsibilities were over. And so I became a writer. Now, this is, I mean, I'm just giving you as one example of how to make a life. And there are many ways. But to me, it's life is about creating yourself not finding yourself, you know, that's Mozart's can do. But for ordinary people, we can create our life. And that's what I did. And so I wanted to tell you that the reason why this was possible is because of the type of education I got. I got an education in which I was made to think critically, to ask the questions why, and, and, and it was very fortunate that I got this education. Unfortunately, most Indian children do not get, are not so fortunate. We go to school and we go through a rote learning, memorizing process. And thank God, the new education policy that has just been announced has made it very clear that they want to junk rote learning, no memorizing. It's all about asking questions, yes. thinking critically, keeping alive that childhood curiosity yes, sir. to know what the world is all about. Yes, sir. So along the same lines, now that you've spoken about the education system in India, I have a question to ask. So in terms of this ed Indian education system, with equal regard to the current scenario that we are in, what are the ground level crises that we as a country are facing? Because uh, I read one of your articles and um, the one and a half cheers for the new education policy, and it did speak about the education crisis. So, um, if you could just give us a... Overview. Well, you know, 
the good news is that almost all children are now in school. So the issue of quantity, of getting numbers, getting enough schools in the country to have enough places for children to sit down and study desks, etc., that problem is solved. The problem is quality. Only about 10 to 15 percent of Indians' children get a edu good education. And the rest, I'm sorry to say, are, are condemned to a pretty mediocre or almost, I would say, a pretty horrible education. And <clears throat> now the new education policy has a lot of good things. One of the things was, as I told you, junking rote learning and memorizing in favor of uh, critical thinking, creative thinking, conceptual thinking. Uh, there's also emphasis on vocational skills. That's good. Yes. Sir. And the other good thing is that it separates governance, meaning the regulatory function of government from running the government schools. That removes the conflict of interest. Now, what is wrong with Indian education? And I'll give you eight facts that will practically make you jump out of your chair and fall down. So the first fact is that one out of four teachers is absent in a government school across the country. Yes, sir. And one out of two who's present is not teaching. And this is not authorized absence. This is illegal absence of teachers. Now, the reason why teachers are absent is not because the salary in a government school is bad. In fact, thanks to the um, sixth and seventh pay commission reports, a, a starting teacher today in India earns 48,000 rupees a month. Now, that's a pretty good salary. And any Indian would, wouldn't mind starting out with that salary. Yes, sir. Okay, fact number two. Only 10% of the teachers pass the teacher's eligibility test. So not only are they absent and not teaching, but they also are not really competent. The third fact is that less than half the children in the fifth class, fifth grade, can read or do arithmetic from a class two text. Fact four, that India's children ranked 73rd out of 74 countries in the international PISA test of reading, science, and arithmetic. That is to say that only country ahead of India, we were ahead of, was Kyrgyzstan. Imagine a country with such an intellectual heritage, such culture. One of the fastest growing economies in the world, but our children came 73 out of 74 in the PISA test. Fact five, as a result of this terrible situation in government schools, 2.5 crore children left government schools and joined private schools between 2011 and 2018. I mean, it is a tribute to the parents who didn't just sit around to see this rot, they decided to do something about it. And you know, when a teacher, you can get a free education in a government school, 
free midday meal, free uh, uniform, free books, the, they decided to pay hard-earned money, hard-earned money to send their children to a government school. So, in fact, what has happened today is that this trend is continuing and 47% of India's children are now in private schools. And private schools are not elite schools like Doon School or Mayo or Wellams. These are schools that charge 500 rupees a month. In other words, 50% of the parents in private schools pay a fee of less than 500 rupees a month. And 70% pay a fee of less than 1,000 rupees a month. The problem is, even with private schools, they are not very good. They're not very good. And that's why at, you see these long queues every year at school opening time. Yes, sir. Queues of parents waiting to get their child into a good government school. And most of them will not succeed. And it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking sight to see these parents begging the school to take their child in. Yes, sir. And so, why are there no better, no good private schools? Well, the reason is that it is very difficult to open a private school. There's a real license raj in opening a private school. Here in Delhi, you need something like um, 39 permissions to start a school. And in many states, it's 120 pieces of paper you need to start a school. And a lot of these papers you get with a, by paying a bribe. So a, a good, idealistic, young person who wants to start a school, he has to bribe to start a school. So where is that idealism? So who starts a lot of the private schools? Politicians. They are people who are willing. Politicians don't have to bribe, but businessmen have to bribe. So you have the wrong kind of people starting schools. And so even the private schools are not very good. And on the other hand, the government schools are closing down because there aren't any students left. They're all moving to these mediocre private schools. So the interesting thing, of course, is that because the private schools, so you, what you have is a, a situation where there you have too many teachers in government schools because there are not enough students. And so the cost to the state of running the private, of the government school system is very high. Basically, a private school gives the same or better education at one third the cost than a government school. So now, unfortunately, the new education policy has not addressed itself to these hard facts. And uh, today, a private school is not considered, you know, we have uh, an, 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 the, the law actually does not allow a, because of this prejudice against private schools, there is a belief in India that only education should be given by government, school, by government schools. Yes, sir. At the same time, government schools have failed. And even parents know it. But the ministry doesn't believe it. 
And so, <coughs> what is the answer? What is the answer? That uh, the answer, I believe, is one, to make it easier to open a private school so that young entrepreneurs, young idealistic teachers will be able to open a school. Yes, sir. And, and, and secondly, uh, we should recognize that the government's job is not to run schools. The government job is to govern. And govern means to regulate education, to fund education, but not necessarily to run schools. Yes, sir. Now, you know, gov government job is to make sure there are roads, but the government doesn't build every road. You have private contractors building roads. Yes. Similarly, the government should, in my view, give money to every child as a scholarship. Yes. And when every child in India reaches the age of five, they should get a scholarship to have to go to a school that they want to go. And so poor parents who have, but this is the whole idea of, in fact, the idea was mooted during Mr. Bajpai's government, very seriously mooted that fund children don't fund schools. Yes, sir. And give the choice to the parent which school the child should go to. And sometimes, and so the idea is this, if the government puts all the money that it has into funding students, and if they decide to go to a government school, then that school will get more money because the money will come. Teachers' salaries will not be paid by the state. It will be paid by the fees of the students. So there'll be a competition between government schools, private schools. <coughs> Teachers will show up. Teachers will teach with inspiration because the more students they get in their school, the better off the school will be and the better off the teacher will be as well. So this idea is that eventually those schools which are government schools can also be given to private entrepreneurs or even the state can run them. There's no reason, but it should not be the same person who's regulating education who's doing it. And that's the good thing they've done. They've, they've created this. Yes. So, you know, I, I just want to spend a few more minutes to talk about this hypocrisy in India about private education. Private education is based on a lie. Private school is not supposed to make a profit. Yes. And yet all private schools make a profit. On the same line, I did have a question asking if the privatization of education applies, then wouldn't that be commercialization? Well, you know, I, you, I mean, I personally don't think commercialization is bad. You go to the market every day, right? And you buy things, and if you are satisfied, if you have choice, you buy a particular bag or a particular dress, and you can choose. And all I'm suggesting is, and the quality, the person who's selling the product cares for you. Now, does the teacher care for you in a government school when she's absent? Does the teacher care for the child when she's not teaching, when she should be teaching with inspiration? So <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with making a profit. Nothing wrong. And we have to, you know, nine out of 10 countries, top 10 countries in the world, allow for-profit education. Even China. Yes, sir. Allows it. In India, we have this hypocrisy when all schools actually make a profit. 
<coughs> but it's not allowed. So we have to get over this idea that uh, there should be only not-for-profit schools. And so this business of chupke chupke, chori chori, that is hypocrisy. And what kind of example are we setting for our children when we have this kind of blatant, blatant falsehood in, in this whole system? So the benefit of creating, allowing for-profit schools will also be a lot of capital will come in. Good entrepreneurs will come in. And good entrepreneurs will then create better schools. And there'll be investment in technology. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of new technology that is helping today. Uh, for example, every Indian child wants to learn English. And you can just download an app on your smartphone. The app can be Hello English. It can be eGuru. The app can be Bolo, English Bolo, Google Bolo, yeah. Google Bolo. There are many such apps. And by downloading an app, within six, within three months, the child is speaking fluent English with a vocabulary of 750 to 1,000 words. So there is a way to, you know, all we, all we should aim for ultimately is <coughs> that good schools come up. Yes, sir. And by competition between government and private schools, the government schools will improve. Otherwise, the teachers won't get their salaries right. if the students don't bring their scholarships. Yes, sir. So there'll be a lot of benefits. Parents will be happier with more choice. School principals don't have, won't be called thieves, commercializers, etc. And so I believe we should change, we should amend the RTE law and amend it to allow for-profit schooling and the society will, the economy will gain, because, uh, the finances will gain because one that you can give the same education in a private school at one third the cost of a government school. Yes, sir. So um, now that you have touched on the lines of language um, with uh, every child can actually learn English. Uh, is that the reason why the NEP has brought in this uh, statement saying whenever possible, students till class five to be taught in regional local languages? But uh, yeah. wouldn't that make that particular child a little incompetent when compared to the other children who are learning English since like their uh, young age, primary education? Right. Well, you know, I think the national education policy has a good point that a child should learn from class one in his or her mother tongue. Uh, but the, the, the beauty is that a child is naturally bilingual. And in a country like India, where you can't get a decent job without English, I mean, this is the truth. And not only in India, but if you aspire to any kind of high-end job in the world, you have to know the global language. English is not the language of England and America. English is a global language. So every French mother, every German mother, every Chinese mother, Japanese mother, they want their child to learn English. So the answer, my answer is that now with technology available, it's, and it's so easy to learn of another language that you should say from class one, the child can learn 
literature, history, reading, all these things in the mother tongue. But some, immediately in class one, the child should learn, say, science, arithmetic, you know, in other words, divide up the subjects. You learn half the subjects in English, half the subjects. So there's no question of an English medium school or a, no. or a Hindi medium school. You know, you break that barrier. Today, you know, people who go to Hindi medium schools, they feel inferior. And the people in go to English medium field, children, they feel superior. That's terrible. Yes. The, you know, this you're creating a class system a because of your education policy. <coughs> Break up this idea. Every school is a bilingual school. So if you're in Tamil Nadu, you learn Tamil. You learn stories, schools, history in Tamil. And you learn maths in English. Similarly in Bengal, Bengali. You can do your uh, Robendra Shongit in Bengali and you at the same time learn some subjects in English. And this is because it is really true that a child is bilingual. We don't give the child enough credit. And it is also wrong to say that um, you know, we, the, uh, the other argument is you don't have teachers in English. Well, now with these apps, go, you know, I mean, everybody should go and try out these apps. A teacher, every teacher can become bilingual yes. because how well. So a teacher becomes more like a facilitator. Even a teacher doesn't have to have a perfect English. As long as that app is there and you spend half an hour a day 15 minutes a day, you know, the parents should give you that smartphone to use or your school should have a smartphone so that you can learn English. So that would be my answer to this issue of education, language in education. We have to remember that English is now an Indian language. Yes, sir. Just as cricket is now an Indian sport. A cricket is an Indian sport that happened to be invented in England. English is an Indian language that happened to be invented in England. But they are, whoever speaks it owns it. You and I are speaking English. We are owners of English. Yes. We are, the English are no better than us. In fact, Indians have a better accent than a lot of English people or American people. And so we have good schools. Americans and English will come to learn English here. <laughs> <coughs> uh, so on the lines of uh, every school should have a smartphone probably to learn the language English. But today we see the situation is such that um, there is an urban rural divide even due to COVID even today in 2020. So um, in the lines of the same, I want to ask you that um, does poverty, education and economic growth have an impact on the other? Yes, I think uh, education is related to development. And it's in fact one of the pillars and one of the failures of the Indian state. And this is not now, but right from the beginning. Uh, we have not provided a quality education to our children. And this partly accounts for our poverty. Um, the critical job of development and the economic policy should be jobs. And uh, we measure GDP, but we should measure, we should have as good a measure. We do have a measure now, but it's very, it's, it's not as, as, as effective and certainly not as, as true as it should be. 
But nevertheless, mota mota, we know that Mr. Modi, when he got elected in 2014, he promised jobs. And he promised, he used the word vikas. He didn't talk about Hindutva. He talked about vikas. Vikas was a code word for jobs. And the jobs that people were being promised or they thought that would come with Ache Din. Mr. Modi promised Ache Din. Those were good jobs. They were not Pakorawala jobs. Yes. Now, to get a good job, you need education. And in fact, today, one of our failures is that there are too many people in agriculture. Agriculture accounts for only 13, 14% of GDP, but there are almost 45, 50% of the people in education, in, in agriculture. Now, the reason is that we just have not got created enough jobs. And so one of the things that happened uh, is that, I mean, after 1991, actually the history, economic history of India begins after 1991. Before 1991 was a license permit inspector Raj. <coughs> there was no economic freedom. We did not win our, we did not win our freedom in 1947. We got our freedom only after 1991. Because unless you have economic freedom, you can't have real political freedom. So it was all well to have, say, talk about elections and all that. But we were not creating jobs. Poverty rate was just as bad in 1980 as it was in 1950. So it was a real failure, a real disaster. The first 40 years, um, you know, we may have, I mean, we have, we were, we, were, we, we should be proud that we became a, a democracy, the largest democracy. But we failed our people when it came to poverty. The answer was not communism or socialism or a mixed economy or a license permit inspector rights. So coming back now, the reality is that in 1991, we opened industry. But we did not open education. Education still remained closed. Closed, like we were still in a prison, the kind of prison we were in for the first 40 years of our country. And so, if we had now is that opportunity, that, uh, I mean, I, I think the NEP has not addressed the real issue as we have talked about. And if we can address the real issue, uh, more and more Indians will get a quality education. And with quality education, you will be able to give. You know, I'll give you one statistic. 98% of the people who go for a job at a call center, for a call center job, are rejected. Why? Because, because they don't know English. Language. Language. Imagine going to a job from one call center to another call center and getting rejected. So, therefore, good education will lead. Because, frankly, even in the world economy, the the export economy needs higher quality of education. And services which are an export orient oriented, that is IT, call centers, software, these are all export uh, businesses where you, are to, where you have to communicate with an international customer. So all this requires better education. And so there's a direct link between education and uh, economic growth.
Yes, sir. So, um, I, uh, you spoke about how funding a child is going to be more uh, useful than funding a school. So we spoke from the teacher's point of view, uh, but I wanted to know if funding a child is going to curtail the dropout rates that might exist in the economy, in the country. Well, the dropout rates exist for a number of reasons. Um, one, that if the teacher doesn't show up in class, what is the incentive for the child to be there? And so it's related to the disease of uh, governance. If you had an inspiring teacher, a teacher who tells stories, who teaches you and you have fun, every child wants, would go to school because of that. So that's the way to teach, to teach, to make education a joy. Learning should be joyful. And, and, and so um, I would say that's a, one of the important uh, reasons why children drop out of, of, uh, of schools. Yes, sir. So I completely agree with that. And um, so I wanted to ask you with this uh, technology flourishing and the uh, changing dynamics and the NEP being drafted, what is the future of India? Probably when UN turns 100 after 20, 25 years. So um, where, where do we see our country in terms of education? Well, certainly I think that uh, forget this COVID business, it'll, be, it'll go away. And the economy will come back. Our demographics are still good. And the, 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 in the, bef, while the economy had slowed down in the last few years before COVID, but for ever since the reforms, the average growth rate of the Indian economy has been 7%. And that makes it one of the highest in the world. And, and so I think we will, we've lost some momentum, but we will regain it. And so prosperity will spread in the country. However, unless education, unless we reform our education. Now the NEP has done a good job of the syllabus reform. And hopefully education will become a more joyful. Teachers, teacher training has been emphasized in the NEP. But what you need most of all, the reform is governance. You need governance reform. You know, teachers today are hired by bribing politicians to get a job. And once you bribe the politician, you get a job, then you feel you don't have to teach. Pakka ho gaya, lifetime job, lifetime employment. And teachers are very powerful politically. They're powerful because they man the elections. In other words, the school teacher is the one who is, controls the booth uh, at polling time. And so politicians are afraid of teachers. And so it's not, that's why it's not going to be easy. And I wish I could be more hopeful. I mean, unless we, all political parties come together and say, we are not going to accept this. We will not so the reform of governance is really the central reform. The reform, it means not just the reform, the reform of education will come about, but also we need to reform the judiciary, the police, the civil service. All these areas are, I mean, one out of three 
politicians today has a criminal record of the if you see an, a study of the members of parliament and the members of the vidhan sabha one out of 3 to one out of 4 has is a is, has a criminal record now that's an area that also needs reform anyway i i think we 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 we've covered the 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 field and i i i'm an optimist and i believe that in the next 25 years january that somebody will come around who will have the guts they are this the hopeful sign today is the nep but nep will have to be grounded in strong reform at the state level because education is a state subject yes sir i completely agree with that and um so now talking about the un sdgs say 2030 um do you think education is the medium to achieve the other global goals of your well i mean if we can improve education um i think that it will it's the foundation you know especially their studies have shown that in a with a if a woman if a girl child is educated then she grows up and she makes sure that her own children get educated and sort of the virtuous circle have takes place in a family um <clears throat> so i do believe that education has the ability has spread effects in all all spheres of activity it empowers a person um uh, you walk into an interview and you feel confident if you have a if you are educated if you are articulate etc and and also you can solve problems you know today india is one of the countries very our startups culture as something this government has encouraged a great deal and there is a, a real startup thing so that is confidence you know so i i personally feel that education will impact all the other goals of the the, the sdg goals of the un um and and uh, by no means i want to leave us feeling disappointed the problems are there it's better to recognize them than to sort of push push them under the carpet yes awareness is the priority is primary so um yes i completely agree and um before we wrap up i would like to ask you that what would you like to convey to the young minds to the millennials today in terms of uh, the quality education sustainable development goal well i i began uh, in a way which suggested that we have to take the responsibility for our own lives <coughs> we can't just say that oh my teacher wasn't very good or my parents didn't do this all of us have a sense of responsibility we have responsibility to our own happiness uh and i have explained how education plays a role in giving us the opportunity to make a life and 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 similarly i think as responsible uh persons as responsible citizens we have a um a duty to society we we are nourished by society and and uh we we uh we should we should give back to to society too and 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 so i would say certainly not just if you don't need to have just money you know uh, for every every person in a democracy i believe 
you know, we spend our time talking about Narendra Modi, Rahul Gandhi, Mr. Trump. Whereas if we spent one to two hours a week in our neighborhood, you know, neighborhood checking to see whether the garbage is being collected, the lights, the bulbs are there on the lights, the streets are paved, there are no puddles on the street. That is also civic virtue. And that is a duty in every democracy for every citizen. You know, instead of sitting around, oh, complaining, oh, Modi na ye kia, nahi kia, wo kia. You know, we should take charge of our lives. And um, one of the great things in America is we think, you know, we have this very odd idea of America as being a country of McDonald's and KFC and Hollywood and all that. But actually, the real genius of America is that at the ground level, at the neighborhood level, they make the joiners. Americans are called joiners. They get together and they get together or and, 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 you know, and, and, and they discuss about the problems of schools, problems of street level, problem of crime in the neighborhood. That's really what we should think about is our neighborhood. Community bonding. Yes, completely, sir. So um, it's been a very... Uh, a very insightful session and I personally loved it, sir, to talk about it. And uh, thank you so much, sir, for joining in and talking about the quality in education in India and its future. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.